It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today's guest is Dave Haytag, the second generation president and owner of Edgerton Gear. Edgerton is a Wisconsin-based custom gear manufacturer where Dave has worked for over 30 years. As a journeyman machinist by age 21, he then earned a bachelor's degree from the University of California at Irvine and then completed his master's thesis of systems theory and family business from Regent College in Vancouver, British Columbia. In 2014, he earned a Doctorate of Transformational Leadership from Bakke Graduate University, developing a curriculum called Craftsman with Character. The course introduces high school students to the trades and manufacturing as an excellent career path while developing character and soft skills. He's the author of Good Work, How Blue Collar Business Can Change Lives, Communities, and the World. Dave Haytag, welcome into the corner office. Hey, Brant, great to be here. Thank you. Wonderful to have you here. We spoke a couple of weeks ago and gosh, you know, this pandemic has just seemed to be ongoing. I don't even remember how many months we are in it now, but how are you doing? How's your family? How is the, you know, all your colleagues at work uh, through this uh, interesting time? Yeah, we're all good. Um, Here in Wisconsin, uh, we've had a few spikes of COVID, but uh, in the last month or so, we've been pretty clean. That's Uh, great. Business has been pretty strong. Uh, quick story, when the COVID uh, broke out, you know, and everybody was hoarding toilet paper and all of that. Our, <laughs> I remember that well. Yeah. Our business actually took off because one of our main uh-huh. customers makes machines that make toilet paper. Oh, there you go. Wow. And they, and they couldn't get parts from Italy, which is where they're founded. So they called yeah. us up and said, Hey, could you make some parts for us? And then two toilet paper companies caught on fire. And it's so that contributed to the shortages as well. Wow. Um, but wow. we've we've uh, we've been really blessed. We've ridden the the, the year really well, and uh, that's great. Right Overall, now, is the business up or down or about even versus year ago? Twenty twenty versus yeah, it nineteen. Was, it was down maybe two percent year Not on bad. year, but the start of twenty twenty one is just going nuts. Um, yeah, we're yeah, all on overtime, you. and things are really really busy. Good to hear. Well, let's let's hope it'll you'll lead the way out of us, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, let's talk about you. And you know, we always like to kind of start the podcast with the early years. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what your early family life was like. Born and raised here in Edgerton, Wisconsin. Um, yeah. I'm the youngest of four four kids. I'm the only wow. son. Okay. And okay. my my folks started the business in 1962. So we wow. were actually fairly poor. Um, anybody that's tried to start a business. Um, you know, the, the early years are, can often be pretty rough. Hand to mouth. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we actually were renting an old farmhouse where 
uh, I think it was $80 a month or we got a deal oh from the landlord. And so we had gardens and we canned and we hunted and fished. Mm. And uh, my dad would get us down to the shop wrapping parts, cleaning parts. I remember as early as four and five years old. And uh, my mom, my mom actually says that she had me in a bassinet next to the desk. <laughs> when I, was born. I believe it. So d- dad was the entrepreneur. Did, had he worked elsewhere before starting uh, Edgerton Gear? Yeah. Even though they're from Northern Wisconsin, they both, yeah. uh, or he worked in Chicago uh, during the summers uh, just to make a living. And he got introduced right. to uh, gear manufacturing. And then he huh. uh, put himself into a tech school at night. He got married started having kids yeah and uh he just couldn't stand the big city so he he tried to find a place that could kind of get him more up in wisconsin he landed here in edgerton I, he had a wow. he had an uncle that lived here yeah so some lean lean years in the beginning was that pretty much all the way through middle school and high school for you or did things begin to you know perk up a little bit as you got older yeah i remember my dad didn't have a vacation for the first seven years I and can imagine. and my mom would tell stories that she would literally pray that a, that a farmer would come in with a broke broken part for one of the pieces of his equipment so my dad could fix it so the farmer would pay cash so she could go home and buy groceries on the way home for dinner wow. um so it, wow. it was pretty lean so so growing up i i don't ever recall that um we had money but i don't recall that i was ever hungry either i mean yeah, folk, yeah. I, just live with what you got and uh it was it was a good it was a pretty good childhood um well, with mom praying, I think you grew up in a Christian household. Is that a correct assumption? No, nah, um, that's a little bit more complicated. <laughs> <laughs> okay, tell us about um, that. My my dad actually uh, expressed faith early on in the marriage, mm-hmm. but for some reason he walked away from it. Mm. And so he was he be, by the time he became a teenager, he was a pretty angry atheist. Mm. And mm. his dad actually died uh, in Chicago on the streets uh, oh, as tough. a homeless you know, as a homeless alcoholic. Mm. So, and my other grandparents actually owned a bar in Northern Wisconsin. And, um, so both sets of the family have had issues with alcohol for generations. So, so me growing up, I think the first time I was drunk was actually age eight. Oh my gosh. And by uh, 15, I was actually drinking pretty heavily binge drinking on the weekends. Yeah. And by the time I graduated high school, um, I, I definitely had a problem. And did you seek help early on or did that come in your later years? Um, no, because uh, when we, where I grew up, everybody drank. So it was yeah. kind of... <laughs> <laughs> How do you get through a winter in yeah. Wisconsin, right? Well, no, yeah, nobody <laughs> nobody thought we had a problem, you know? And yeah, I remember right. talking That's to my dad. Everybody he said, did. Yeah, when my dad talked about when he was growing up in his household. And granted, I think we're, he was third generation from Bohemia. He'd tell the story that that they'd have they'd pour in their sippy cups beer instead of water or milk so at a very early age you were introduced you started build, building the tolerance right i think so yeah so so but you know basically by the time i was 19 i'm, I'm i didn't go to college i was still here in the shop yeah. and i yeah. i had become pretty depressed and drinking mm. and lonely and um it was at that point god got a hold of me and my life kind of radically changed mm. and i realized you know maybe what mom was trying to teach us all those years there was something to it yeah, and yeah. so it, so for me to take faith seriously was actually pretty divisive in our family because wow. my mom was you know really serious and on fire about her faith, and my dad wanted nothing to do with it. So I was always yeah. kind of caught in the middle. Which which way do I go? Do I go out on Sundays hunting and fishing with my dad, or do I go to a church right. with mom? 
Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so when did that start? When did you kind of have your uh, literal come to Jesus moment? <laughs> at at uh, age 19. 19. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Right. And life turned around pretty dramatically. And, I, mm. and my dad would, <laughs> my dad would actually say that he wouldn't tell me this, but he told my mom that she told me later that he thought I was absolutely worthless and oh I wasn't going to amount to anything because I, I didn't take my work seriously. I didn't, right. uh, I didn't enjoy working in the shop, but I just did it cause I had nothing else to do. Mm. Um, but then when I had that Jesus come to Jesus, uh, moment, all of a sudden life had purpose and meaning. I felt like I was here for, for a reason. That's and awesome. I started really applying myself at work and, and really being serious. And my, my dad later told my mom after about six months, he said, you know, this kid could double the size of this place if he wanted wow. to now that he's got ambition. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? Well, good, good, good recognition on his part. So you, you, you stepped away from the business for a while, right? You went off, got your degrees. Did that happen soon thereafter? Or when did you kind of make the decision to, you know, go on and, and get your degrees, both undergraduate as well as master's? Well, not only master's, eventually even the doctorate, which is really wow. funny because if you knew me, I'm not an academic guy. I'm really not. I'm totally hands-on. And education in our family, I think my oldest sister was the only one that ever went to yeah. college and she went to be a social worker. My dad thought that was kind of useless. <laughs> so yeah. so yeah. so I so when I left home at 21 or 22 right after I I, I got my journeyman card, um went out to California. Um people thought I should be a pastor cuz I was taking my faith so seriously. Mm. And then people said, "Well, you got to go to college." And I I really that's what everybody's and everybody still says that you got to go to college, right? Right, sure. So I end up going to the University of California, Irvine, having no clue what to study. So had you moved to Southern California specifically for education, or did you just kind of go out there and no, see what the world had? No, I, I actually was trying to be a, a startup triathlete. Um, oh, okay. That was okay. back in the eighties when the Iron Man was getting all this sure. attention. So I thought, right, hey, I can right. do that. So. I was like a lot of young guys who said, yeah, maybe I can make a living at that, which is really quite, oh. quite foolish because <laughs> I wasn't that good. <laughs> but um, it brought you to where you needed to be. It did. Yeah. It really yeah. did. And I ended up getting a job uh, in, oh my gosh, I had lots of jobs out there. I drove bus. I worked in a retail store. Um, I worked on a college campus. I ended up working as a, I got paid as a pastor for about a year and a half. Um, and through all that, I learned, you know, I, I still don't know what, I, what to do with my life. And yeah. in the midst of that, I got married and mm -hmm. people still said, you should be a pastor. So, so we ended up going up to Regent college in, in uh, Vancouver, BC, uh, yeah. British Columbia, BC, yeah. mm -hmm. still not knowing what to do. And mm -hmm. I actually had kind of a, a bad burnout experience in the church. Now is, is Regent college a seminary or are they? Um, yeah, they, they call it a, a theological graduate school. Theological grad school. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But I still didn't know what to do. And, yeah, yeah. and, and so my wife and I were up there and one of my mentors said, you know, you need to take a year just to go study and, and figure out what you really believe and why. Mm. And while we were there, it, uh, I took one of those classes that's, that explores your gifts, talents, experiences mm. and all that. And at the end of the class, now keep in mind, Edgerton gear working in the shop was the last place on the planet that I'd say I'd ever come back to. Right. Right. When you left, you, you, you thought you made a clean break. Forever. Yeah, forever. <laughs> yeah, forever right, and ever right. and ever. <laughs> so so uh at the end of that class, I got a report back that's that was a test, you know, kind of analysis, and it and it said, quote, you are uniquely qualified to run a small family run manufacturing business. <laughs> yeah. Go figure. Yeah. And oh, I did, talk I, about pointing you back to Wisconsin. Huh? And at first I said, No way, absolutely no way. 
and, this can't uh, be true. And my wife. So it was kind of an assessment. It was a career assessment type of a test. It was. They, it gave. was. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Wow. And and the frustration that I had with graduate school is everything was so theoretical and academic. Yeah. And my yeah. my view of education, it's got to be practical. It's got to serve. You're a hands-on guy. Totally a hands-on yeah. guy. Yeah, so yeah. the the school allowed me to come back to the business and do my master's project by by trying to bring basically Christian principles into the business because the business was oh. even though it was it was doing okay it was a mess I mean it was yeah. a very big mess my dad had a quarter barrel of beer in the lunchroom fridge there was pornography <laughs> everywhere um, there was fighting <laughs> so, so you came back how, how old were you when you returned uh we were. I, th- I think I was 20. See, I got married when I was 26. So I was 28. Okay. So it had been almost 10 years. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, seven, Nine, eight, seven years, seven years, seven years. Yeah. Seven years. Yeah. yeah. But you know, there's warring factions in the shop. I mean, the work ethic was mm. really questionable and it's like, can I, but dad, dad was still in charge. Dad was still running. It. Yeah. And, but he was burned out. He was having health problems. Yeah. Um, he just yeah. wanted to retire and he even tried to sell the company to employees at one time that didn't work out. So when, when I told my dad, I said, dad, I've got this idea. I'd, I'd like to come back and, and be mm. in the business. I really felt God called us back here. I mean, bottom line, I really yeah. did. And the, the masters was the focus was what if you bring, you know, Christian old fashioned values into a business, what wow. effect would that have on the business and the family? Cause we're a family business. So yeah. trying yeah. to bring values of integrity, trust, humility, um, open communication, um, transparency, all of that mm. grace, what would happen in, in, in both sectors, the business and the family. So what did dad say? Uh, he said, you know what? And I said, dad, you know, we have very different managing <laughs> styles. He's, he's the old, uh, old school authority, old school authoritarian. command and control. Yep. Right? And I said, yeah, we're yeah. probably going to have some screaming matches in the shop. He said, that's okay. Mm. You can do whatever you want. Just, I, I just throw really? it back. Yeah. So I don't know. Huh. I don't know if he really knew what he meant. <laughs> Or what I meant. <laughs> so, <laughs> he, he just wanted to move on. It sounded like he did, right? and, and, and to get you back involved. Yeah, were, were your sisters involved at all? Did, did any of your three sisters my, uh, my join the business? One sister was involved in the business at that time, right. and right. she really right. needed to move on and, and be out. It was not a good environment for her either. Uh, hmm. So the the first two years were, I don't know how else to put it. It was hell. It was just yeah. anybody yeah. who's trying to anybody who's ever tried to change a culture or tried in a business or a family, it is just excruciating there. It was the employees, everybody, I think every employee except one, we only had 17 employees at the time. Every one of them except one yelled or told me off at one time, accusing me of different things. (laughs) (laughs) And the company had been what, 20, 25 years old by then, right? Right. right. It'd been around a while. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness. So, so it was, it was just a really hard time. And, and after two years, I often joke that the first two years were hell and then it got worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dave. So, wow. And, and it wow. was just hard. It, it burned me out so bad and getting people yeah. to trust. And I was so young, I was still trying to figure out, well, why, why don't people trust me? Why, why, why mm-hmm. is there all this antagonism? And everybody, what they want, it just, they were just, they, they had their own idea of how they thought it should be run. Well, you had two things going against you. One of one of them was, of course, you were the owner's son. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which you know, people would say, "Oh no, that would be a good thing." No, no. it wouldn't be. No, no. <laughs> and then the second, of course, is these ideas were sure a far field from how they've been managed in the past. I'm sure. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And it yeah. and it and then the business was just really got busy and it grew very very quickly. And I'm working 12, 14, 16 hour days, oh my gosh. and we have now three sons my wife and I, 
and I'm just fried and I'm dealing yeah. with anger. I'm dealing with depression. Oh um, at our 10 year mark, my wife, um, I finally took her on a real honeymoon, um, just <laughs> to get away. My first honeymoon, <laughs> our first honeymoon, I took her canoe camping up to Isle Royal and Lake Superior. Very bad idea for anybody out there who says a canoe camping honeymoon is a good idea. Oh, goodness. Where the mosquitoes are as big as small birds. Exactly. Right? Exactly. <laughs> so so we had a real honeymoon um, at 10 years, and I found out later that she had had it, and she was actually mm -hmm. going to tell me on that trip that we were done. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. And it wow. was, um, it, it, things were hard. Things were really yeah. weird. We'd started yeah. seeing a counselor, and- um, getting away from the shop for 10 days, she saw the old me that mm. be fun and, and enjoyable. Gave her some hope. Gave her mm. some hope. Yeah. <laughs> and so we, we both really just sought some counseling and try to put yeah. our marriage back together and, and slowly, but surely the, the, what I call the kingdom values, you know, biblical yeah. values started to take root in the business. And I started wrestling with my own inner demons of whether it was mm. alcohol or anger or depression. And she had her issues from her, her upbringing. So people look at us and they said, how in the world did you survive? <laughs> did you ever make it? Yeah. And, well, those 10 years, you know, how did your faith hold you up during that period? Did, did you, did you go to God and say, Lord, what have you got me into? <laughs> <laughs> and um, how are you going to help me get out of it? Or, or did you kind of have a separate, you know, church and state, right? Oh Where, my gosh, no. To me, faith mm, was everything. It was the only thing yeah. that held me together. And one of my mentors um, passed away, the late Pete Hammond, taught me early mm. on that faith is not just Wednesday and Sunday; it's twenty four seven. That's right. And That's if right. I if I'm called to 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 really be a disciple and to really seek God, it's it's on it's everything. Yeah, and we yeah. had such a deep. Sense. It's not even daily; it's hourly. Sometimes. It's yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. and even in the midst of all of it and everything that was going on, we felt so strongly called to be here mm. that we're going, yeah. Lord, why did you bring us back in this <laughs> yeah. mess? This is horrible. Show us a sign. Yeah, and and I oh, think goodness. and I think a big part of that is often, um, you know, we I, I think we often think that if we're following God, success is just going to come really quickly. Mm. But when I read the life of Jesus and the Bible. And I, I feel that he calls us to messes and, and that's, that's how he yeah. kind of fixes things and redeems things. And that's right. it's hard that's to right. be on the outside looking in, but, um, and think that everything's going to go well, but I think he calls us to sacrifice and obedience and to yeah. hang in there and to, and to take, <laughs> to take the beatings and to find, to try to find grace and the humility in the midst of mm -hmm. all of that. Um, be as be as soldiers, and be as Christ-like as we can. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So PhD. Let's go back to the education. When did that come along, and what was the motivation behind uh, pursuing your education even further? Well, I had one of my mentors call up, and this yeah. was I think 2010. So we're going okay. back 11 years, and he said, "Hey, yeah. how about if you get your doctorate?" I go, "Why in the world <laughs> would I do that?" <laughs> so, but I, but he knew me well enough that that the next phase of my career and in the business. Uh, I needed to go deeper. I need to answer some mm. some bigger questions because the first the first degree, if you want to call, or the first 10, 15 years was, can my faith be relevant even in this business in the family, yeah. the place that I swore I'd never come back to? Because I because right. you know, I, right. I, I I I've seen God work. We used to do short term mission work in different countries in Mexico and right. um, 
and inner city LA and different things. And, and God, I, I felt God could work in a lot of different environments and religious environments. Can but can he be relevant in a blue collar machine shop with mm, a quarter barrel yeah. and porn yeah. everywhere? So <laughs> you know, so that was my first big question, and God answered that. Yeah, mm. um, we're we're called to be agents of transformation in even the darkest environments, which for me was this machine shop. So wow. so after yeah. fifteen years, it was like, okay, what's the next step? And one of my heart cries, my own background is, is what I would call being a lost, what I call a shop kid. It's, mm. it's those kids in high school that, that we were deemed not college material by the school right. system. Right. But we're thank good. God there was wood shop and auto shop and metal shop. Exactly. Right. And those yeah, are yeah, everything yeah. I excelled. I, I, I excelled. Yeah. In. Right. So, sure. um, one of the biggest issues we had in our, in our business over the years is finding good help people that mm. want to show up and who have the yeah. skills. And, and just have the heart to do it. Have the passion. Yeah. yeah. And we just yeah. couldn't find any, I think all the trades and manufacturing are, they're all struggling to find people like that yeah. because the That's schools true. have shut down their shop classes and we have yeah, few people have, yeah, entering the trades. Yeah. So, yeah. so I had this mixed dilemma. The business needed to figure out how to, how to continue. And I had these issues in my heart that uh, just passion for young people and our shop teachers in our school invited me one day to say, Hey, could you take a look at our shop class and help resurrect it? And I went over there and the same machines I ran in 1979, 80 and 81 were still there. Mothballed, shoved over in a corner. And while I was there, I'm looking at these kids and I'm going, Oh my gosh, that's, that's me. And that's me. And that kid's me. And, and I started to put the two together going, hold it. And that's where the doctor came from. How can I help those kids Mm. and how can I help our business? So yeah. out of that, um, we developed this course called Craftsman with Character and partnered oh. with our local school to basically host the class in our shop. And five days a week, we get the kids. One day a week, I get them in the classroom. The other four, they get to job shadow and they get to wow. be mentored by other you know, gritty, crusty machinists. Cool. And it was a course that we kind of unpack their worldview. What do you believe and why in terms of what do you think is going to make you happy in life? Money, power trucks, whatever, and really explore, you know, if you're going to be a, a sex, success in life, you need the character, you need the integrity, you need the That's commitment, right. the discipline and all that. Yeah. So yeah. for 16 weeks, we get to pound on these kids and really beat it into their head that How you're fun. important. The world needs you. You're valuably, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're, even though you're not college material, the world desperately needs who sure. you are. Sure. And that course has transformed our business to what a recruiting ground yeah oh it's been amazing and and it's it's not that we just get kids just for our shop we're we're in the community now and we're getting kids for the auto shop the body revitalizing it yeah fantastic so if we get one or two kids each semester um that's a home run for us out of the out of the 10 or 12 but our those of you who are in manufacturing your listeners um i would i would ask what's the average age in your shop and I think most shops yeah. it's between 50, 55 50 and 60. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, our, right. our average age is down to 29 right now. Nice. Nice. Wow. What a rejuvenation. That's awesome. And I'm excited because these kids, these young people, um, they do have passion and they're, hum- yeah. they, they're yeah. humble. They want to learn. They're, they're just, I, I'm, I'm rejuvenated to see what a great future we have because we have so many young people. That's awesome. That's awesome. So how many employees today? Uh, right about 40. 
about 40. So from, from 17 in the, you know, is this ship going to float or not to, to 40 today? If you look back at kind of that, well, what, 20 year period, right? I mean, are we talking, yeah, about 20 years, right? A little, is, little longer than that? Yeah, I'm actually in year 29 right now. You're 29. Okay. So almost 30 years. What, what was kind of the biggest cultural shift, you know, that, that was made and, and what was your most successful, um, you know, tool to make that happen? You know, and <laughs> there's so much, we're so radically different, you know, mm. seeing the quarter barrel of beer leave, you know, that was a big deal. <laughs> that was a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I didn't take it out because my dad put it in. I felt it, it needed to be a symbolic gesture of him taking it out. Mm. Um, and he did, and he, he did, he wasn't happy about it. It took about right. a year. I didn't mandate it. Um, yeah. we'd have parties here every afternoon that he would, he would be the, the ringleader. Um, wow. and so when that went away and this, this dog eat dog party mentality, I mean, they worked mm. hard, but yeah, but and they partied hard and they partied hard, <laughs> but now it's, it's a culture that, that is respectful. We, mm. it, there's a lot of dignity. Um, really commitment to excellence guys don't, I mean, you don't, you rarely hit a swear word and that's not because I said, Hey guys, no swearing. Yeah. It's yeah. because they said, hold it. We're different now. And, right, and we, right. we, our number one value is humility and, mm. and respecting each other and appreciating each other. And so if I held up the shop 29 years ago to what it is today, it is not even remotely similar. Yeah. yeah. Except yeah. we still, back then my dad was making great gears now the technology has, has changed that we're doing what 10 times the work or actually yeah 10 times the work with just a little over double uh, the employees double the staff wow yeah. fantastic great productivity and and who do you i mean we talked about the toilet paper supply but who who are your major customers who do you sell to and you know who are some of the folks that um, you know have been been keeping you going for all these years fortunately my dad never got into high production and he stayed okay. away from the auto industry, the ag industry, and and yeah. and those big those those big industries. And he wanted to be diversified as possible. So he was brilliant that way. So he got into the printing industry back then in the sixties oh. and seventies. And well, you know what happened in the printing industry since then. Yeah. Um, but that led us into food packaging, uh, you know, anything power transmission with pulleys and sprockets. A lot of the food processing industry as well. Our number one account or industry is the paper and cardboard industry. Wow. Um, that is just exploding. Packaging. Yeah, yeah, packaging. And yeah. you think about yeah. Amazon and how everybody's getting oh, things gosh. shipped to their door now. Yeah, um, absolutely. My goodness, our that customer, I think they said they're booked out almost two years now with, with machines that that make cardboard boxes. Wow. So wow. so even through this whole COVID thing, like I've said, we we're we're pretty fortunate because we're very, very diversified. Yeah, fantastic. So, so during the ten years be, be, before the the final honeymoon, and today, you know, tell me a little bit about your leadership style. You know, how, how has it changed? You know, what what was kind of your aha moment, and what were some of the things you started doing differently that uh, really made a difference in terms of productivity, but also kind of the company culture. You know, that's a great question because if I, I look back being 29 and, and coming back into the business with this, these stars in my eyes, these idealistic notion that if I just treat people right, they're just going to yeah. fall in line and everything's going to be wonderful. And it doesn't work, does it? No, <laughs> it really doesn't. <laughs> and I, and I, and, and I got, and I, we don't have time, but I've got story after story of just getting backstabbed and guys trying yeah. to start their own business and lying and cheating sure. and stealing and. 
And I'm going, Lord, what is going on? If you just treat right. people right, don't they treat you right back? And absolutely not. And so I went from, as one of my mentors said, a very confessional leadership style where I was, I was, I was often apologizing, trying to get their the employees permission, trying to get them to buy in and realizing, you know, this isn't working. This is, they are yeah. eating me alive. Yeah. And so the shift happened when I have to, I realized one, I have to be a person of vision and right. I have to set it before them and either they go along or they don't, we're not a prison. Yeah. If they want to join what we're about, I don't demand that they share my faith, but I do demand that we share values. Hmm. And if they can't buy into what I'm throwing out there as the vision, they're very welcome to leave. And, and yeah. many of them have. Released to the industry. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and the, yeah. the second major, major shift that happened for me was realizing that, that I need to take care of myself. And actually, I wrote mm. about it in my mm. book that the real aha moment is when one of my employees came in. He said, you know, when you don't lead, we all suffer. And I went, whoa, because I've, I oscillated between, I just want to get in my cave and everybody leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> close my door and close my blinds. Yeah, yeah. too, because yeah. I get so yeah. burned out. I went through these cycles of severe burnout that, that sure. I would get depressed and angry. I want to start drinking again. And, and it was just <laughs> such a struggle. And then I get yeah. healthy and I go back and I start exercising and, and then it, I just get eaten alive again. So that was an aha moment that said, I got to figure out how to break the cycle of, of burnout and, and be healthy. And one of the books that I read um, back when I was doing my master's was Generation to Generation mm. that, that by Edwin Friedman, who talks about that the best thing you can do as a leader. And he wrote a second book called um, A Failure of, of Nerve Leadership in the Age of the Quick Fix. And in all of his consulting and all of his teaching and so on, he said, you know, the, the big difference for leaders is when they realize the best thing they could do for their company is to be healthy themselves. That's right. Very true. That took me yeah. a long time to understand Mind and that. spirit. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And body. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure what happened is then a lot of people left, right? And you did replace folks and brought the kids in, obviously had an opportunity through your doctor's program to bring other folks in. And I would, I would hasten to say that, well, of course, 30 years is 30 years, but my guess is you probably don't have a whole lot of employees that were with you back then. You know, my, my right-hand man, our, our, my shop manager is the only one left. The only one left. Yeah. 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 But we have a lot of employees that I hired in those first, I'd say probably five years in that have been here 25 years. The, oh, their loyalty great. is just fantastic. I've got yeah, a lot of 20 yeah. year people, 15 year people. We have almost zero turnover. Yeah. Um, and the, and the people that have left, you know, they, we brought them up through our system and then they said, Hey, I want to strike out on my own and see if the grass is greener. Sure. We just say, God bless them, you know, and yeah. we're still in contact with a lot of them. And, um, so there's, there's not much acrimony between them. It's like, Hey, that's great. We helped you on your journey and, and, uh, you know, feel free to give it a shot. But it does say a lot about recruiting. And I'm sure today you hire a lot differently than you did back then, right? Yeah. In terms of what you look for in people. Yeah, I, I've struggled with that because I used to say, well, the, the mentality was just hire somebody for skills. If you could find somebody that can oh, do the job. Yeah, and that yeah. was pretty naive. 
<laughs> well, you know? but of course, in the industry you're in, you were hard pressed, right? Because there right. was not a lot of folks coming out with a skill set, you know? So you, you take know? what you can find. Take and, what you can find, yeah. And yeah. then you discover how toxic <laughs> bad character is. And you're going, I would have rather work 20 hours a day by myself rather than yes. hire this guy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, so now we do a, we, we do a pretty in-depth analysis of anybody that's coming in where yeah. I don't do the hiring. I let my guys do the hiring. Right. Sure. And so they, they have to work for, with them. They put them through a really rigorous, you know, multi-interview process okay. where they really drill down deep and the thing they're looking for. And it's really interesting. They'll test them on the skills and they said, yep, we can teach skills, but they're, they're uncanny and smelling a rat, you know, and, and picking out, does this person mm. have the humility to be a team player? Yeah. And yeah. if they don't, if they, if they, if they smell just a hint of arrogance, they say, no, we, we don't out. want this person. Yeah. Yep. Good. Good. They've been developed well. Do you get involved in any of the final interviewing, particularly folks that may be reporting directly to you or that you're working with, um, you know, on a day in day out basis, or is that, uh, all handled by your team? I have relinquished almost <laughs> all of it. Seriously. Yeah. It's to the point where new staff really does. They don't meet me until they're already hired. Yeah. Um, because I yeah. really want the, the staff to own each other. Right. And, and the, most of the hiring I'm sure it's, it's entry level machine work, right? I mean, they're coming in and yeah, even, and, even my office staff, we've hired a, mm-hmm. a few recent office staff that are, that are office assistants or office managers. Right. And right. on, and to that level, um, yeah, I want to, I want to meet those people, but that I have to work with every day because it, it's part of the same you know, sure. process. If I'm going to work right. with you, I want to, I want to be part of the process, but if I'm not working with you daily, let, let that department, those guys, you know, do the hiring. What do you look for when you, when you have those interviews and, you know, making those bets and the people you're going to invest in and hire? Well, like I said, the, the top one is humility and it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. a eagerness to learn. Um, it's an eagerness to, you know, just to, to be part of something bigger than themselves. Right. And if we start picking up on values of, yeah, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm in it for the money. If they job shop a lot, mm. look at the resume and they're changing jobs every year or so. Uh, that's one of the big things. If we see, if we see that, and we pick up that they've suffered, that's a really big thing. <laughs> mm, sure, <laughs> because they're going to yeah. appreciate, I think, our culture and the continuity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's some- how do you how do you get to passion? You know, passion is something you've talked about. You had it, even though you didn't think you had it, but it was it's what brought you back. But do you um, do you do you look for that as well? And if so, how do you try to identify that? Oh, well, that's a, that's almost on an intuitive level. I, I think yeah, it's when those yeah. conversations start, start happening, you know, one-on-one, even outside the interview or during the interview, when you start getting to know the person a little bit, mm. what are they interested in? Why, you know, yeah. and, and it, I think it just starts oozing out and you can even, even in the, the young people that may have had poor social skills, a rough upbringing, you can see it in their eyes if, if they're, you know, all in or not. Or if there's right. that spark that I want to be all in, but I'm not sure what that is yet. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I think, I think it's, like I said, it's very intuitive. You can pick it up pretty quick. Now you've got some children as well. You mentioned that earlier. Are they involved in the business? My oldest son? Yes. Okay. Uh, he, he came out of, he came out of college, uh, industrial technology management. And I said, oh. you couldn't, you couldn't come back until you work somewhere else. That was a rule. Yeah. Good. And he had the two worst jobs imaginable, two <laughs> night jobs. I mean, they're, they're, I've, I've had bad night jobs. When I was in California, I, I worked for, I worked in a machine shop for a missile uh, defense contractor. And I right. thought that was bad. His were way, way up there. Um, 
two, the first one, the one place, uh, his first night, it was just him and another guy. The guy says, well, I'm out of here. Here's the keys. Lock up when you're done. And wow. it was just a disaster. And then he left that and worked for another place. And uh, it was a micromanagement issue <sighs> where it was just horrible. And so after a year of that, he called me up and he, with, with a lot of trepidation. He said, dad, can I come back? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and he appreciates it. He really does. Um, and, and he's, he's turned out, he's a great machinist. He's, we're, we're starting to introduce him a little bit more in the management process. Um, my other two sons, one's an actual tech ed teacher, uh, wood shop. That's his passion is working with yeah. wood. Nice. And so he's trying to take our craftsman code and craftsman course and put it in his local high school where he's up in madison our third son uh is, is actually working as a hr director in oh. uh, a home improvement store up here right. it's similar to home depot but it's called menards right and and his passion even at eighth grade we were walking home one night and i said and he's a real undeveloped little guy and i said so what do you think you want to do when you grow up and he goes dad and and he thought about it for about 10 seconds he goes dad and i still remember he looked up at me and he said dad I want to do what you do, but I want to see if I can do it somewhere else. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, and I go, what do you mean by that? Yeah. He goes, well, I've just seen how you've changed the shop and changed the whole <laughs> culture. And I'm wondering wow. if, if that can be done in other places too. <laughs> how cool is that? Wow. For an eighth grader, that's pretty insightful. Yeah. And he's yeah. never wavered from that. And uh, so now cool. at 24, that's his life passion. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. So w will there be a third generation uh, running the shop? Will your, your son that's involved in the business take, take it uh, to the next step or undecided at this stage? No, he's, he's really committed. But the, the challenge in our, in our business, um, because we, are, we do a lot of breakdown work and the work is right. so diverse, it's just really high stress. Yeah. And we've yeah. realized that we've got to have a real team approach to how we run the business. So he's watched mm. me, <laughs> he says numerous times, he goes, Dad, I don't want to turn out the way you did. <laughs> mm. <laughs> meaning, mm. meaning when it's we when he hear. was growing yeah. up, he just thought he just saw me go through these cycles of burnout. Sure. And he said, I want my life to be a bit more balanced and healthy. And how do we do that? So yeah. we are exploring actually this 2021. We are getting very, very serious about taking our whole training and education within the company to a whole nother level cool where it will be a much even a, a, a larger team approach and more serious right. team approach than than me just being the the you know the one that's kind of making all most of the decisions now do your employees know that you're a man of faith and is that incorporated into kind of the culture of the company yeah absolutely they they yeah. definitely know but i'm not out preaching to them they just right. know sure. um you know to me you go back to saint francis i think the quotes is uh you know accredited to him that preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words <laughs> you know <laughs> i like that yeah I like and i think that. that's 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 been kind of my mantra for 30 years because my yeah. dad being such an angry atheist i couldn't be open op right. ver openly verbal about verbal. my faith yeah. unless i yeah. was asked you know i had to really be careful in the shop floor and and rightfully so i think a lot of blue collar folks are very are very skeptical and cynical yeah. um yeah. about you know, Christians because of some of their right. experiences. So to me, sure. it's, it's been, can I earn their respect? Can I earn um, their trust by how I live? So the number one quality that, that I, I preach all the time around here is goodness. You know, we have to treat others the way we want to be treated back to the golden rule. And I really try to take the gospel and apply it um, in really practical terms that mm. the thing that Jesus calls us to is a life of goodness. And goodness is this force 
that if you'd really take it seriously in every decision you make throughout the day, it is radical and it, yeah. it is life changing. It's it's a company changer. Um, and, and I think that's what guys have bought into around here more than anything. We are yeah. a company that that takes goodness very, very seriously. Well, listen, we're almost out of time, but I do have a couple of last questions we ask all our guests. And, you know, we kind of end where we started. And this is, you know, our our pandemic world. We're all hoping that 2021 is going to be a different one. Vaccinations uh, going out. You mentioned Wisconsin. The numbers are falling. My home state of California just announced today that they're going out of lockdown, letting people run around a little bit. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, we'll see how things go. But, you know, what changes do you see ahead? Do you think that this is going to transform your business? And, you know, what broader type of opportunities and as well as challenges do you think will happen in society moving forward in a, and hopefully a post COVID world we'll see soon. <laughs> you, you know, I, I, I look at, well, for one, I don't watch the news a lot anymore, just for my own mental yeah. health. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're, you're, a, you're a smart man in that regard. <laughs> but, but our culture, I think, you know, has gone through so much in the last 18 yeah. months, so much oh, upheaval. Yes. And yeah. I look at it as opportunity. And I'm actually very excited and and very hopeful, maybe contrary to popular popular opinion. But I see tremendous opportunity in the sense that for the first time in my life that I can remember, people are asking the right questions. Mm. And people are asking really what's essential. And we've taken manufacturing and so many of these different careers and industries for granted that people are now saying, well, what, what really is essential? And maybe, maybe I don't need to get a four-year degree. Maybe I need to get a yeah. technical education. Maybe there's yeah. other opportunities. And it's the level of anxiety has caused people to really step back and, and really ask what's important. So I, I am, uh, I've had great conversations, not only with our employees, but with our customers. And I, I think those companies who, again, take goodness, treating each other fairly and having integrity, I think those values are standing out more than ever mm, that I can yeah. remember in, in my career. Really and, and so yeah. for us, uh, we, are, we are struggling to keep up and being very choosy about what customers will take on because for us, it's such a deep commitment of a relationship. We have to culturally fit each other. Uh, that it's, I think the challenge for us is how do we manage, manage the growth, manage the opportunities. But with the young people that we got, I am, I am, I'm just really, really excited about, yeah, it's gotta be better in 2020, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, listen, last question, I'm going to put a little bit of a spin on it because you are in a family business. You tried to leave it. Yeah, <laughs> you you yep. did for the better part of a decade, and now you're back, and you've got potentially the third generation coming. What life advice or career advice would you give to someone that perhaps is in a family business, and you know, kind of has their, you know, kind of trajectory towards you know that ownership role? Maybe they're you know now working under their father or their mother, and and you know maybe having thoughts about, gosh, is that what they want to do? Maybe some of the same things that your son is going through now. You know, what kind of advice would you give to someone who's in that? kind of role and thinking about the future you know it goes back to what i said when the aha moment for me was i need to be healthy and every family i don't care who every family has issues and and dark closets and and dynamics that that we often don't understand until we get older and, and things start unfolding so what i would suggest like for instance here in madison up in wisconsin here there's a there's a family business center um, where they unpack all those family dynamics. 
And I think a lot of cities have them now, or there's resources online. But I would really encourage anybody to dig into understanding your family history, your family dynamics, why or how you got to where you are now. Identify, you know, some of those things that might be uncomfortable. And yeah. and the sooner you can figure out who you are and what it means to be healthy for you and for your family, it, it's it's way better to do that than to. <laughs> <laughs> to surprise you by that's some right. crisis yeah. or it sneaks up on you. And I, and I yeah. think that's where I had phenomenal mentors who helped me understand that you'd never get away from your family dynamics, but you can grow and learn from them and, and, and help not only your generation, but the next generation and generation after that mm. to be healthier and really think about legacy. But it starts with with you, with me being healthier now. Yeah, wise words. Dave Haytag, second generation president and owner of Edgerton Gear. Thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. My pleasure. Thanks, Brian. I really, I really have enjoyed this. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.